0: It's funny that we finished reading The Odyssey because it took you like a full day to get home. I
1: was... Oh! Whoa! Airports are a mistake, I think. Why do we use planes if we are not going to use them properly (laughs) is
0: my question. Why can't they make the planes run on time? Why can't they make the
1: planes
0: run on time, Andrew? Andrew? So, what, so you're going to fly into Philadelphia from Denver, and you ended up having to fly somewhere in New England and drive down? Is that Yes. The deal? So,
1: okay, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
0: My name is Andrew. And I
1: would love to tell you about Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark, which I did read and I am going to talk about later. But first, I hmm, need to know <laughs> why. Why, why, why? Mm-hmm. When I booked a red-eye flight to get uh-huh. to get... Me and my wife home. So then we would just like oh, wow. go to sleep and wake up and it would be late Sunday. That was going to be the plan. But apparently there were there was rain in New York and that can just spoil anyone's plans. Um, so flights, the flights containing our flight crew were super late. Okay. Meaning that those folks were working really long hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So by the time they get to our plane, they are super late for what we need. A man gets up and says, hey, your plane's out there, but we can't leave because I don't have a crew
0: just hold on tight and we it really feels like they should just have some overflow crews maybe they do maybe. i don't know well if, i don't know if i want to know more about how airports the and airplanes cruise. work because it might make me <laughs> matter
1: and maybe maybe those folks were unavailable that's fine this is the time where you say sorry it's midnight um we don't have a crew go to the hotel here's money or whatever right right mm-hmm. you don't say your crew's getting here in two and a half hours just hang tight Bye. That I never saw that guy again. So (laughs) it's 2:30, and I see the crew arrive and they look unhappy and they go Uh. into the plane and hang out in there for like 20 minutes. Uh Uh-huh. And then they all stroll out like a like a band, like on tour, and Uh they walked away. And then a lady got on the PA and said, Hey everybody, flight's canceled. It was like prime minister's questions. People were just screaming at this woman. Oh, it was so <laughs> rad. And then, um, then we didn't get a flight for three hours, mm-hmm.
0: um, which th- we had to go through security again, which was weird. Well, because they just, you don't want. A whole bunch of disgruntled people who may have had time to whittle <laughs> shivs from toothbrushes that they bought in the Hudson News onto a new airplane. Yeah, like it was just you want to you got to check them again. It was
1: wild, man. So I flew to Providence and then rented a car and drove it home. And theoretically, my travel insurance is going to pay for it. Always good travel insurance if you're working with sketchy airlines. You know, just
0: protect yourself. I guess. All right. Well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad, glad I'm back we too. could, could create the space for you to complain about your man, airplanes. We th- the last time we did a flight, I talked about it on air
1: cuz it was like stupid early and I was like weirded out by all the dogs. And this time it was stupid late and they took my flight away. And now I've been up for 36 hours <laughs> and I'm going to talk about this super long book now. Um, <laughs> which I have plenty of time to read. While
0: I was ensconced in... While you were trapped in an airport, <laughs> in an airport for airport? For two days.
1: style, yeah. uh,
0: Cool. So Susanna Clark, whose last name has an E on the end, contrary to everything that we've printed about her to date in our schedule and on Twitter. I need to get better about that.
1: Uh, but thanks to Gemma, who
0: recommended it to us
1: through our Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash OverduePod is how you recommend books to the show. Thanks, Gemma. And
0: if you and if you gave us more money, maybe Craig wouldn't have to take all these busted flights. <laughs> That's possible. Maybe Craig could afford a real airplane.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could buy my own airplane, and I would <laughs> never have to cancel it. Um, I had heard of this book, Andrew. When it, oh, I absolutely had not. Oh, really? No. I feel like this book was like everywhere, and it's got like this like kind of distinct art style. Uh, I got like the trade paperback edition. Because um, I knew it had, like, footnotes or something. I knew it was, like, what if a magic book, but, like, oddly serious and historical in some way.
0: Right, so, and we can talk a little bit about how it was published and marketed, because that plays into that sure, sure, impression sure, sure. a little bit as well. But, yeah, I hear I hear Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, and I'm like, is this these Marvel movies? <laughs> like, is this a... Is this a duo from, like, some Terry Pratchett book that yeah, I haven't read? Like, What, yeah, is, what, of, what it, are these guys? Is this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde again? Or are we just doing that one? There already? is
1: a character named Mr. Hyde at one point, and I was like, come on, Clark. Come on. We yeah, all know. there's a lot of other names.
0: You could have avoided that one pretty easy. Yes. Unless you were trying to make a symbolism or, or make, an illusion. <laughs> I don't think it's a symbolism. Mm-hmm. Or an illusion. Or an allegory. not an A, not an I. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, it's... What it is also a TV show recently, I think, and people
0: seem to dig it.
1: One of those streaming services, maybe one of them. <laughs> I'm not sure which
0: one. I don't know. I can only. I only have eyes for the Wheel of Time show. I can't. <laughs> so, what did you find out about susanna Clark while I was reading this book, Andrew? Um, I found out that – what did I find? There it is. There's the part in my notes where she is. She's born in 1959, (laughs) and she's an English writer, teacher, and publisher, and editor. Uh, Her last job before writer, before this book came out, was uh, editing cookbooks for Simon and Schuster, which she did for a full decade, which sounds pretty rad. Okay. Um, Because you don't want people to put like a cup of salt into stuff, so cookbooks do probably need copy editors and regular editors.
1: Yeah, and maybe just to cut down on the anecdotes a little bit, like only the most important anecdotes go into the cookbook. Do
0: it, yeah. That we do need to get an editor for all these bacon blogs. <laughs> uh, she began work on what would become this book in 1993 after a reread of, of Tolkien and kind of a thought that uh. she wanted to write something with a with a fantastical bent. Um, she, so she signed up to take this like five-day writing course, right, specifically for like fantasy fiction and stuff. Okay. And the short story that she turned in, and she didn't even have what she would consider a full story because she writes in snippets and then stitches them together after. Mm. Um, so she turns in a story for this class. One of the teachers of this class was so impressed that he hands it to Neil Gaiman. <laughs> and Neil Gaiman's like, whoa, this is, his exact quote is something like, this is like, Somebody sits down to play piano for the first time, and they just play a beautiful concerto. Oh my god! Okay, but he was impressed. Some other people were impressed, and um, she was published in an anthology in 1997. This was like four years after she'd started doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she was she was published in a couple more anthologies, and she was well regarded in fantasy sci fi circles. But it was a pretty small audience. Sure. Um, And then in 2004 is the year this book was published. It was published by uh, Bloomsbury, which I believe is the British publisher of Harry Potter.
1: Oh, So the
0: deal is, a couple things at play. (laughs) One, it's the early 2000s. Harry Potter's a big thing. The Lord of the Rings movies are a big thing. Yes, Everybody's looking for any wizard magic garbage that they can put on the shelves. (laughs) Everybody's just clamoring for it. And she... Just happens to have a giant opus that's ready right at the right time. Okay. Uh, so Bloomsbury, when they published Harry Potter in the United States, they didn't really have a U.S. arm, so they published it through Scholastic. And then Scholastic gets a big bunch of that sweet Harry Potter money Yes, now. yes. For this book, they were like, you know what? What if we put a bunch... What if we made this our first big like, international release and just did it ourselves? Um, so this is their first book that they handled the U.S. distribution of. I think there was another country in there, too. But they they put a huge amount of marketing effort behind it because they figured, you know, this this is the right genre. We think it's a good book. And also we think there is room for, because so many adults are reading Harry Potter and so many adults are, are into this stuff, there is room for like a quote unquote serious like literary Book about like wizards and magic that is not marketed to kids. That's just marketed like a fiction book. Sure, and that's what the deal with this is. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and it ended up being a huge success.
1: Yes, I think what like nominated for the Booker. It won a Hugo. Won a Hugo. Yeah, um,
0: and yeah, reading there's a New York Times piece. There are a couple. There's the there's the review, and then there's like a sort of interview with her, and and a uh, source for a lot of the stuff that I've just been saying. And if you read the quotes that are from, like, Bloomsbury people, they are excited to be doing this, but they're also really scared because it might not go anywhere, and they're really hoping that it does.
1: That's fun. Fun to take yeah. a risk,
0: right? Yeah. Um, big, big old risk. Roll the dice, and it ended up being okay.
1: And did she end up, she published those other stories though, right? Is that like what happened? There were some
0: published before and I think there have been some published since. Okay, okay. But this is by far her, you know, her biggest, most consequential thing. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, it does does sound Tolkien-esque in that I think my impression is that there is a lot of lore and then this story is drawn from it, but not all of it and you do get a sense of Yes. There just being more that you're not reading about, which is the thing Tolkien does really well. It's Like there, there are these things that are hinted toward but never fully explored in Lord of the Rings that you can dive further into later if you want.
1: This book is a thousand pages long in the edition that I have. <laughs> and it could be another half as long. I would read another 500 pages, like kind of in the arc of what happens. Like there's enough interesting stuff. That you're right. It is like it's purposefully underexplained, or you only get snippets, or you don't really know what's up with that one character who ends up being like part of an important scene, but you really didn't spend a lot of time with him for large chunks of the book. Um, She clearly has has a sense of world that is that is pretty stunning, but it's also rooted in history. Like that's the other thing that I knew about it coming in was that I did know that it was set in like an alternative 18th century England or 19th century mm-hmm. England. Like it is, I thought I knew that that was part of the hook was that it was like in the real world. But what if magic had been there also, even more sure. explicitly than Harry Potter, which is like, well, the magic, we have to like go into this other place to do all the magic where all the non-magic people can't find it. Cause that would mm-hmm. cause problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me, um, just really quickly, um, <clears throat> So she, as of like 2004, or 2005, was working on a sequel to this book or one that takes place in the same universe, but is from the perspective of different characters. Okay. But we haven't really heard from her on this since like the mid to late 2000s. <laughs> she apparently suffers from uh, chronic fatigue. Syndrome oh, okay. And so dealing with that has slowed down work on it. And I can't really find any more like references to it, interviews and stuff with her. Mm. Um but yeah, that's that's the that's the thing. So she's she's still around, still working, but she actually hasn't really done anything since this that I can well, that I can I see. Mean, yeah. I mean, there there are thing. there are a handful of of small things, but no other novels. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Well, let's take a quick break and then we can talk about the book. Okay. Andrew, I had a lot of time at the airport, and I made a lot of small planes. And I would like oh. to distribute them to people at other airports. Uh, you
0: made small planes.
1: I made a bunch of small planes with Just the discarded like the boarding, yeah, the discarding boarding passes that were defunct. Um, oh, okay. And I would like to like display them online, maybe, so that when people are waiting for their flights they could like look at them and have hope that they will get on a plane one day.
0: Okay, well... If can you, you help wanted, me? If you want to make this weird sadness museum <laughs> of reality, you should go to Squarespace. There are our sponsors this week. And uh, they let you create beautiful websites that showcase your work. Yep, You can use it to sell your weird little paper airplanes and other services. Uh, you can announce an upcoming event or special project like, hey, I'm getting on this plane now. <laughs> Uh, Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful website templates created by world-class designers and powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. Uh, they've got analytics that help you grow in real time. You can see who's looking at your plane post whenever you want. Uh, built-in search engine optimization. So people search plane, delay, sad. They'll totally find your website. That's what it's called, actually. And TM, free free and secure hosting nothing to patch or upgrade and 24 7 award-winning customer support i love it so if this sounds good to you you should don't don't delay Ah. head to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code overdue to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain make your website make it great squarespace Andrew, what do you know about the Napoleonic Wars? I know that they started out good for Napoleon and ended up bad. <laughs> That's usually That's how wars go
1: when, the, know, when they're okay. named
0: after you. <laughs> it, they started out good and they went bad. That's the first thing I know. Second thing I know, England eventually won and it set them up for a big, a pretty good run. <laughs> they had a run. for a while and it was bad for a lot of other people yes, but it was good for them. Sure. Um and it is if you ever hear anything recommending not going to not starting a land war in Russia, I think this is the this is the first of many different citations about that. Yes,
1: that's true. That's true.
0: Um I also know so there are five conflicts. I'm reading. this is you told me you research this and this is very like top line, but there are five battles that are commonly referred to, but they're all referred to by the the name of the coalition Ooh, okay that like formed against napoleon so apparently the first one was fought by the third coalition the second by the fourth <laughs> the third by the fifth the fourth by the sixth and the fifth by the seventh. who were the first two coalitions i don't know who these coalitions were <laughs> let me just let me see here I, I asked you to research this because the the book the, the Wikipedia doesn't have like a you know how yeah. when you're looking at books and it's like previous book next book there's nothing <laughs> that's like the previous collision. <laughs> the
1: the book takes place in 1809 um the or no 1806 is when it starts rather 1809 and then it wraps up in 1816 um a couple years after some of the big Napoleon battles. Um. <laughs> That's <what they> call. <laughs> the call. Napoleon battles. Um.
0: So Napoleon was uh, Waterloo happened yes. in um, what was that in eighteen fifteen? Okay, sure, 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 sure. And so after Waterloo, which was the fifth of the Napoleonic Wars fought by the Seventh Coalition. Uh-huh. It turns out that the first and second were in a similar time frame, just before Napoleon. So, oh, okay. That there, you go. Make any sense? <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, and then Napoleon was exiled to Saint Helena after that. Sure, and that is after his first exile
1: to didn't. Elba, stick. yeah, didn't stick.
0: He came back. <laughs> yeah, he came back. Um. And so, like that
1: is the that is the backdrop of the first
0: two thirds or so of this novel and it takes was that just the time between those between the start of napoleonic wars and the end of them
1: well the, so we get into the napoleonic wars actually like some of the magicians in this book take part in directly in the napoleonic wars oh, um, and so it does take a little bit of uh, it takes for granted that you might know about them or at least be interested in them um, because one of the big like hallmarks of this book, as I said before the break, is that it has this invented historical fiction that is both based on real history and based on the alternate history that Clark has made up.
0: Yeah. So my, my understanding reading it is a lot of it is about like the Napoleonic War stuff, but then a lot of it is also just about uh, like British geography and and classes like traditionally the south was more metropolitan and more um uh what's the aristocratic and the north is is poorer and more working class Mm -hmm. and in these books right the north is like where magic is So everything's cool up there and the south is bad so the england that we meet
1: at the beginning of the book um oh i also want to say this before i forget it's interesting that the napoleonic wars were like napoleon kind of invents or helps to invent like a nationalism, a nationalism that we still kind of recognize today as an idea. Um, and this book is very concerned with Englishness and what uh-huh. it is to be like a British gentleman um, yeah. and what it is. And I'll be.
0: Yeah, I'll be upfront and say. The only stuff I know about Britain is that like very basic north south thing that I just yep, told you. Yep, yep. And then all I know about being a British gentleman comes from playing the Professor Layton <laughs> games and it's mostly about solving puzzles. <laughs> I think that north south divide that Clark has
1: has like, you know, flipped and made her own is really about like she finds the the way in in terms of like are you someone who really prizes like uh kind of rigid learning and memorization and things or are you someone who kind of goes with your gut and likes to experiment um and you'll you see this in the two characters strange and normal.
0: um and well, so that like, sounds kind of like a educational debate that continues like teaching to the test versus yes Trying to teach somebody like how to learn things, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. not an educator either. But, but so it's, at it's the at a very house. at a
1: very macro level, what I think w- makes this book really unique and uh, has given it the reputation that it has is that it does a good job of taking that. Here is a historical fiction novel with some like footnotes to help explain what you're reading, and then. <laughs> layering on a bunch of fictional stuff with the exact same seriousness or at least exact same pedigree because the book is witty and has a lot of fun but the made-up stuff quote-unquote gets the same treatment as like a footnote about like what Napoleon was doing in Elba or whatever um so when you open the book and you're learning that England hasn't had a, a, a practicing magician in over 200 years and magic has left England, um, that is treated with like the same seriousness as here's France's history and why we're fighting them. Um, Does France have magicians or is it, magic just an English construct? In, in this book, I don't believe we meet a magician who is from another country, though other people huh. know about magic and during one of the fights with Napoleon's people, they they fear that maybe Napoleon has found a magician to make his soldiers seem really big. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Jonathan Strange just chalks it up to dudes feeling really proud to fight for Napoleon. <laughs> and so they like look really big and are wearing impressive uniforms. <laughs> um, but there's no actual magician there. So like Do
0: you think that? A stereotype in this universe is that everybody from other countries treats everyone from England like they're magicians. Ma- Ooh. Just like how like how all Italians are Super Mario Pizza Pie like Sure, sure. And all French everyone, people everyone. are like frogs and berets. Yeah. You know. So everybody from England's like, Oh, hey, hey Harry Potter. <laughs> Why don't you cast a spell on me? Why don't you try to take my wand away, Harry? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. This cool, is cool. laying the groundwork for all of that. Also, unless you'd contradict me, otherwise, I'm going to assume that this is the same fictional universe as Harry Potter. <laughs> it's, hmm. Well, <laughs> we haven't, hmm, that's a good point. You could, I
1: should probably talk about the book first, but let me just say you could, maybe. Um, okay, we got a lot of ground to cover, yes. so
0: don't, don't let me keep derailing us. That's okay. So the
1: book actually opens with the society of York, the learned society of York magicians, who are a bunch of gentleman <laughs> dorks who
0: don't... <laughs> it sounds like a D&D <laughs> club.
1: They don't actually do magic. They are what are called, and this is at the, at the start of the book, the only magicians known in England are theoretical magicians, which means they read books about people who used to do magic, and that's it. And they get together, and they talk about how cool magic is, but no one knows how to do any of it. Um, because they don't have any books that actually have magic in them there's like a there's a thing that gets spelled out a little bit later where there's magic books and then there are Mm -hmm. books about magic this is
0: kind of like people who study latin
1: it is it's that's what laura said when i was explaining the book to her she's like this sounds like people who maybe try to make latin the language you would speak and people are like "Nah, i could just read it it's fine yeah Mm -hmm. um and so this one guy john Segundus, uh he gets up and he's like why not english magic like why not why don't we bring it back like the, our country used to have great magic. We had this dude called the Raven King, who was the king of Northern England, who could do all sorts of magic. Um, the the Raven King apparently had a kingdom. He had a he had a British kingdom on Earth. He um, had a, he was a king in the fairy dimension, which becomes important, of course. Um, and he rented like a kingdom in hell. So he was a pretty accomplished dude. Um, <laughs> and
0: are you just a summer in hell like, yeah. <laughs> it's,
1: it's it's the I, the theology of the world is kind of neat because it does trade on a like baseline English uh Christianity but does not by any means say that that's the only thing that's going on um and even at one point remarks that like fairies who are basically just magic people who live in a different dimension. Um, refer to humans as Christians just because, like, they just assume they're all Christian because they're just lazy jerks. Um, and there is a, like, heaven, earth, hell, and the fairy dimension as as we are to understand it, I suppose. Okay. Um, but Segunda wants to know why not English magic, and they find a guy, Gilbert Norrell, who has spent most of his old life, like, Buying up all the magic books so that no one else can have them. And he claims that he can actually like do magic. So he sets up this demonstration where if he does magic and the magicians agree that it was successful magic, that they will all sign an agreement that they are no longer magicians. Because he's like, I'm a real one. And you guys are just charlatans. So if if I do good magic, you will all agree to no longer be magicians. Some real like Tom
0: Sawyer, yeah. <laughs> and betting going on. And here. so he
1: doesn't even show up. His assistant Childermas shows up, and is like, "Hey, everybody, get in this church. Uh, my boss is going to do a bunch of magic." And like he makes all of the statues like come to life and sing and like tell stories and freak everybody out. Um, and the only person who didn't sign the agreement is Segundus, who. Um, is kind of a like background player in the novel in the story of the book but he ends up writing a biography of Jonathan Strange who I'll talk about in a second and he he's a big character in the footnotes because he is a scholar of magic Um, and that's another cool thing that the book lets happen where like some characters both people you meet and people you don't have like bigger lives in the edges of the book than in the actual story because footnotes let you do that Um,
0: yeah that's a um that's one criticism sort mm. of that i read in the in the new york times review is um here's just a quote from them Um, impressive as magicians neither mr strange nor mr norrell are particularly appealing people they both seem like sidekicks out of dickens promoted onto a central (laughs) stage before they've had the chance to develop as prime time players so that's a the the argument he is making basically is even the big characters the the, char- the characters are underbaked like the 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 universe and the footnotes and the apocrypha are where the story is and then you've got these two characters who are just kind of whatever I don't know if that's your experience with them but well that is what the New York Times
1: so Noral Noral is someone who I actually I would agree with that more Noral oh, that's written by Portia Rosenberg okay. so she not he um. Norrell is someone who factors a lot into the first part of the book. It's three volumes. It's Mr. Norrell, Jonathan Strange, and John Uskglass, or Uskglass, which is the human name of the Raven King, um, who disappeared <laughs> who he disappeared several centuries ago. No one's seen him since. Um, mm-hmm. And only a few magicians remained after he disappeared, and they've all gone too. So,
0: he just burst into a cloud of ravens. He could do that. It's true, again. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Norrell he
1: becomes kind of one dimensional because Norrell's whole thing is that he wants to restore English magic, both in like the popular opinion and in practice um, to do that. One of the things he would like to do now that he has like demonstrated magic to people is he's going to help the English war effort with his magic. Um, but he also wants to be the only one doing it really like he there's a, there's a kind of, static nature to norrell where a lot of times throughout the book he has to there's a tension between him wanting to be the only dude doing magic and like being psyched to talk to anybody who knows anything about magic to like share when you you know when you're like let's say that you spend a lot of time Thinking about baseball or Pokemon or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And then, like, you stumble across someone who knows even remotely something about that and maybe something you didn't know. And, like, that's a very exciting conversation. Right. Imagine if you were the person who was like, I'm the only person who gets to know about Pokemon. Uh, (laughs) That's
0: that's normal. It sounds like it would be lonely, but also I could be the very best because no one else is doing it.
1: Um, sure. And yet, when Strange comes along, who is kind of an amateur magician, he kind of came out of nowhere, found some magic books, and just like started doing magic sort of by accident. Um, people introduce him to Norrell, and they're like, "You should study with Norrell." And Norrell's like, he doesn't quite know what to do with a student because he is excited to talk to someone who can do magic, but he doesn't want to like. He regularly doesn't give strange books that he thinks Strange should read because he's, like, so mm-hmm. protective of his knowledge. Um, so they are the, like, twin poles of one of the themes Clark is exploring in terms of, like, like I said before, like, reason or kind of gut learning and experimentation. And this also tracks to their opinions of the Raven King, Andrew. So... Um, the Raven King was kind of like a folk magician. He was very connected to the fairies. He could talk to nature and animals and stuff. He did all sorts of black magic that nobody does anymore. Um, and like talk, like raising the dead and stuff like that. Um, and Norrell is of the opinion that English magic should leave that behind. It should be more respectable And we should be able almost like to kind of have an industrial revolution in magic and it should be very like replicable and everyone knows the same recipes
0: more like scientific and regimented and teachable.
1: Yes. And to do that, he Norrell spends a lot of time writing articles talking about how dumb the Raven King was or how, like, we shouldn't <laughs> trust fairies, or...
0: Tell you what, even if I didn't believe in him, I am not gonna do anything that's gonna get a guy called the Raven <laughs> King on my bad side. That just sounds ill-advised. And,
1: and once um, Strange comes on the picture, which is, actually happens in, way later in the book than I thought was gonna happen, um, Strange is like, no, but, like, we need to know who the Raven King was. Like, he was in charge of <laughs> almost all of the magic in England, even when other people were using it. So, like... We need to know how he did it and what we could do with that power as well. So the like their arc throughout the book, when they are at their closest, it's because they're working on some of the same magic together, like for the British government. And when they are in the most conflict, it's when they are like publishing, you know, articles about each other, like like basically just slamming each other in the press for <laughs> their opinions on the Raven King And the nature of English magic. Um, And so I guess that kind of addresses that quote because their relationship, while it is pivotal to a lot of the action in the book, it does go through a lot of – it goes through the same cycle. Like they go through a lot of the like, oh, we're fighting. Oh, I don't want to be your student anymore. Okay, we're back together now because we have a task to complete.
0: Yeah, it just it sounds like it's it's making magic. Not maybe I don't know if mundane is the word, but kind of subject to some of the same debates and pushes and pulls as pretty much any other field yeah. in human history. And that's
1: what I that's what I personally really liked about it because it it makes it a book about what you do with knowledge. It makes it a book about what you do to like advance your culture or your society. Like, what is the best way to move your people forward? Um, while also giving it to, like, kind of like a Professor X and Magneto kind of relationship, Um, like, different personalities to hang those beliefs on. So she's, like, she's dramatizing a debate, which can, I think, I certainly understand, and I've seen it in other stories that I like less, where, like, you can see the philosophical argument behind the characters, even more so than the characters themselves. Um, So, like the plot plot of the book um involves two things mainly i think because um, there's a lot of plot in the book uh yeah so
0: i don't okay so we've got like maybe 25 minutes half yeah, an hour left yeah i do want to make sure we do that thing where you tell me about the magic system and we compare it to <laughs> 1990s <laughs> japanese video <laughs> games Okay, but like, what what plot stuff is important to know? Yeah, like, keep in mind that it's impossible to cover it all in the in the context of an hour long correct book podcast correct. Um, and because you haven't read it, I don't think that
1: we can like deep dive on some of the stuff either, which I know, which we've done in the past. Um, yeah,
0: like I don't know. I'm so the general arc of the story. Like, what is the what's the most interesting and and successful like historical stuff it's doing? Sure. Because the fact that it's kind of an alternate history is a big part of its part of its appeal or like part of part of the reason why people like it and talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then magic system, final fantasy. Great. Yeah, we can do that. We can do those things. Okay. Those um, are the three big
1: ones. The The beginning Noral stuff, he moves to London so that he can help the government win the war by using his magic. And we only see <laughs> like, but we only, we only end up seeing a couple instances where Noral does it um, in the middle part of the book. Jonathan Strange is actually conscripted into the service of the Duke of Wellington, um, who's fighting in the like Iberian Peninsula and all of the magic that Strange does to like help turn the tide in those battles. Um, okay. But first, what, what Norrell has to do to get in good with the government, um, he meets a cabinet minister named Sir, Sir Walter Pole, I think is his name, And uh, Mr. Pole's fiancé is very sickly and she passes away. And Norrell says, well, if I bring her back to life, then he'll be so impressed with my magic that he'll tell the government to use me to do magic.
0: Okay. I mean, I feel like there should be other considerations that go into that, but sure, fine. But
1: this is some impressive magic stuff. Like, this is not an easy spell, right? So he actually has to summon a fairy... Um, which apparently English magicians used to do all the time. They used to have like used to have a fairy servant almost. Just fairies almost.
0: that they kind of kept in bottles, and, you, and whenever your hearts are low, you just pop the stopper on that bad boy, and the fairy gives all your hearts back. I
1: think there were probably some fairies that looked like that, but there were, they weren't in this mm-hmm. book, but maybe mm-hmm. in the other Apocrypha that she didn't include. Okay. Um, but they kind of would c- pop in from their other dimension and do the hard magic for you. Uh, and that's what happens here where we kind of get a Faustian bargain with this guy who doesn't end up having a name. He's called the Gentleman with Thistledown Hair, um, I think. Uh, in some of my notes... <laughs> almost
0: as intimidating as the Raven King. Yes.
1: Um, and, and for some parts of the book, I found myself wondering if he was a version of the Raven King. I won't say whether he is or not. I thought that mystery was kind of neat. Um Okay. Uh, other parts of my notes, I just call him the Thistle King, which works too. Um, Thistle King. He's kind of a jerk. Well, that's cool. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. He strikes a bargain with Norrell to have her for half of her life, and as a like memento to keep that bargain alive, he takes like part of her pinky finger, which then becomes like a prominent like you know Chekhov's pinky finger later in the book. Um, mm-hmm. But so then she will occasionally and she over time just kind of sinks into a catatonic state. And every evening um, Thistledown King like takes her into his dimension and like treats her as a queen. Um, and is just like, it's weird. He just has control over her. And whenever she tries to tell someone about it, um, she just like spits out a random like anecdote about a different person on earth. Like it's not, it, not what she wants to say. Um and then he ends up taking into his uh power also her butler Stephen who is I think the only character of color in the book. He's a black man from Africa um but he doesn't even know where from um who was actually a slave but then uh was freed but works for uh Lady Pole and Sir Pole. Okay. So um there's a cool thing there where like there's a magical there's an evil magical reason why like w- the marginalized characters in this book can't actually advocate for themselves like there's a muffling spell on them so like in the same way that they are silenced in history they are silenced in this book in a cool way like what if
0: systemic racism but, but f- a magic. spell didn't. yeah it was yeah, just instead an, of instead of just people it's
1: an interesting i think it's a it's an interesting way that clark uh, doesn't ignore that stuff in sure, in sure, her yeah. historical fiction. Um, yeah. So that sets up by summoning him, but keeping the summoning very, very secret. Norrell tells no one about it. Um, that sets off a whole plot line of the Thistle King um, wanting to make Stephen the King of England and wanting to destroy the magicians. Um, he's an Iago-esque character, I think, in that you don't really know his his true 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 motivations other than that he's like a force for chaos and and Are we talking about the parrot from Aladdin or Yeah, that's definitely what I'm talking about. No, like I'm oh, I'm talking about <laughs> Iago from Othello, the play by okay, William cause, Shakespeare.
0: Cuz I feel like the parrot from Aladdin is a more relatable <laughs> reference point. No,
1: okay, so the one you like the joker. Like you don't know what the joker's up to, like why he is the joker. I don't know. I haven't seen that most recent movie that explores exactly this. So (laughs) maybe. But so, like, one of the things that begins to threaten the the Thistle King is um, Jonathan Strange coming into his own as a magician um he shows up in england he's much more charming than norrell is he is he shares norrell's goal of like sharing magic with the rest of england but as i said before he's a like hey let me try some spells and we'll just like wing it and i need to learn a little bit more about how the raven king did it um (laughs) and this is happening with the backdrop of norrell like continuing to buy up all the magical knowledge in in England and shutting down anybody who's basically just a street illusionist but calls himself a magician. Like, Norrell wants to, like, really rein in what magician means so that for most of the book, there are literally only two of them in England, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Um, Okay. So then the reason I asked you to, to... look up the Napoleonic War stuff is because then the cool like historical fiction stuff that happens in the middle of the book is when Strange is in like military duty, like in the middle of battles, like trying to summon mud monsters or like <laughs> he moves what he he can do. Like
0: he moves roads a lot. He moves cities and roads to confuse- Like moves them how? Like, like you lift him up and you put him down or just- Alakazam! It's somewhere he else.
1: He does something. He reads a spell in a book, and then probably he moves some stuff around on a table and a map, and then like a river is in a different, or like, uh, orientation, and Got so then it. somebody okay, handy. somebody has the high ground that they didn't have before, um, and the thing about strange is that he is more willing to like try a thing he hasn't done before than Norrell is where the government keeps asking Norrell for stuff like, Hey, can you like raise this 200 year old military genius from the dead? And Norrell's like, nah, that guy would be like falling apart. I don't want to do that. Uh, (laughs) And strange. (laughs) Yeah. The fiance
0: is more recently deceased. That's fine.
1: Whereas strange is like, Oh, we need to track down these cannons. I guess I'll resurrect these soldiers we killed. And like, Ask them where the cannons are, but I'm not good enough at magic. So like now they're just alive still, and it's really kind of horrifying. And they have to like set them on fire, even though they came back from the dead, because they're yeah, these that weird seems zombies.
0: Like a little more trouble than maybe it's worth. Yes, but What do I know? Yeah. I'm not a
1: general. It's it's kind of co- it's cool how it goes back and forth from like wacky. Oh, I made a bunch of water horses and now they're just running around all over the place causing trouble mm-hmm. and like oops, I created zombies that have thoughts and feelings. Whoops. Whoops. Um and of course this strains the relationship of Noral and Strange. Haha. Uh-huh. Um and that is ha- that is happening while also the Thistle King is growing in power and being continually threatened by Strange's growing power so that the latter part of the book is them like coming into more direct conflict. Um, So even the conflict at the end of this book where they do deal with th- the Thistle King, there is some sort of appearance of the Raven King. um, The minor tertiary characters like Stephen the Butler, um, both Lady Pole and Strange's wife Arabella get involved Um this other like dude named vinculus uh who is like a street magician who spouts prophecies and then by the end of the book is like oddly important he's like a footnote of a character that then is like super important later sounds
0: like he could be like a magical rabbit yeah one of
1: the one of the magicians oh yes it's vinculus um yeah and he's like he troubles Norrell a lot, but never poses a direct threat. So you're wondering why he's, whenever we see him, you're like, why is he here? Uh, Uh and then that, that kind of pays off. Um, but like the big ladder arc for strange is that he, to better understand magic, um, he has to travel through the fairy world and he has to learn how to see and summon fairies, which include dudes like the Thistle King. Um, and he ends up creating a tincture that drives him "quote unquote" mad. Like the madness. There's characters in this book who are who are mad, um, and it is not like it is a it is a fictional kind of historical version of it, and not any like real attempt at portrayals of like mental health issues. Um, it is more like, oh, here's a cat lady. Who kind of had something happen, and now she only speaks cat and eats mice?
0: Um, okay, so this is because this is because magic accidents, and not like because they had syphilis, and we only re- yeah. recently started talking about that. <laughs> I think it was historical. Yes, texts. I think it might be okay. a magic accident or something. And then he has to like
1: he goes and I think grinds up her mouse and like makes it into a madness tincture that he can take. Um, so, this is off the rails a little yeah bit, huh? and so he goes a little he gets a little bonkers and that helps him like he starts like seeing stuff it's very hallucinatory um that allows him to commune with the fairies which then escalates the conflict later in the book so like that's just a snippet of what is happening in this wild woolly tale um yeah. that happens to be formatted like a, a historical text and a Dickens novel um uh-huh. So, I don't know that. That's I like the there's there's chapters that are primary documents. There are you get snippets of the timeline by references to when biographies are published and things like that. So they, again, there is a throughout the novel that you're reading, there is this sense that there is this wider. Like a Tolkien or something like that. There's like more mm-hmm. fiction than you could possibly put in this book, um, which certainly like fleshes out what, what is there. Um, the magic okay. system itself, let's, it's kind of fuzzy. Um, when Strange and Norl are doing it for the most part, especially early in the book, they are learning explicit like versions of spells um that they have to do based on books that they have read from like 200 years ago uh let me find let me see if I can find an example so earlier in the book uh they're talking about whether or not you can like summon things or whether or not you can just um use like a scrying spell to like see a thing like through water there's a lot of like oh I'm gonna pour a bunch of water on this table and then, like, do the right motions, and now I can, like, see, like, a TV into someone's house. Um, okay. But at one point, uh, Strange is talking to Segundus about summoning magic, um, and he's talking, he's explaining, oh, well, as to that, I had Ormskirk, I based everything on Ormskirk. Oh, asked Mister Segundus, but might not Heather Gray be a better foundation than Ormskirk? And then there's a there's a footnote that says Mister Segundus' good sense seems to have deserted him at this point. Charles Heather Gray was another historio magician who published a famous spell of summoning. His spell and Ormskirk's are equally bad. There is not a pin to choose between them. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's just got this like nice little wry humor about like oh, this guy wrote a recipe for this spell. It usually involves like some some ingredients that like a good DM would ma- would, wouldn't make you worry about, right? Um, some sort of physical things that you burn or that you eat or whatever. Um, and then you do the motions or you read an incantation uh, and then that causes the spell to happen, whatever it might be. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout the book, we see a lot of, unintended effects mostly from strange when he's doing this magic and i don't know that there's a like a system that we've there's a good like video game system that accounts for that but Hmm. it's certainly something we've encountered in fiction before i think when people are like learning to do magic it happens in harry potter where like if you hold your wand the wrong way or something like maybe the spell goes off weird
0: yeah it's almost like in harry potter it's almost a metaphor for adolescence yeah 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 yeah. in some ways so that doesn't sound like it's it's quite what's going on here but the this yeah definitely like you're not going to pick up a magic wand and instantly be good at
1: no it. no 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 and so like over the course of the book a couple of the minor characters who have been following the magicians because the other kind of cool thing about the book is class and servitude is always present and like power structures so folks you expect to have just been following along and and not be capable of anything end up doing a, like minor bits of magic towards the end of the book. And they have like studied and they have learned it. Right. Um, but contrast that with the fairy magic, which is way more like reality warping kind of, you don't know where you are stuff. I don't know that there's a good thing. It's that we've read recently. That's a, like a good analog, but the the thistle king will it, he he doesn't just like snap his fingers and you're in a different dimension he you will be walking and then all of a sudden he will be there and you'll be on like a haunted street and some like dope evil violin music is playing <laughs> and a bunch of like fairies are making you like dance all the time um and you're kind of sad about it but you have to cuz they're casting magic on you Um, that stuff is, it's not quite magical realism. It's not like that because it doesn't always contain like inherent meaning, but it is way more like timey wimey, uh, all of a sudden, like, I don't trust reality kind of stuff. A lot of folks who encounter it begin questioning whether or not like literally the, the objects that they are holding are still real because they're like, where's that music coming from? Why is it winter in my room? Um, (laughs) stuff like that and common common questions the normal (laughs) ones that come up (laughs) and and over the course of the book that proves to be the more powerful form of magic that strange is trying to master um, that it is it becomes clear that like the inanimate objects of the the world of england like have a role to play in that magic happening which is what made the raven king so powerful um, so that's like a big kind of climactic scene at the end that it, your huh? book learning isn't going to teach you how to talk to the sky and the stones,
0: Andrew. Sure. Then that's people tell me that all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting in this world because I guess we can take, we can just take anything for granted and get used to it and cast it aside, huh? Because I can't. I can't imagine a world where magic is real and pretty much anybody can pick it up and do it, but we don't because it's not, like, fashionable. Yeah! (laughs) It's not the done thing.
1: That's, but isn't that, like, there are things we do with that all the time in terms of knowledge, you know? Like
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, but we don't, like, I don't, we aren't like light bulbs haven't been a fad, <laughs> you know, true. like there's some te- there's some technological advances that we've gotten. Yes. And then we just keep them because they're pretty good. And
1: that's a, that's a cool like tension of the novel too, where the fairies, you get some history on the fairies, mostly through footnotes, um, that they are kind of lazy and lackadaisical. And they're these like snobbish aristocrats who don't work for anything. Um, because they can cast a spell and make their castle look cool. They don't need to like devise cool engineering to make a castle a castle. Um, you actually learn that most of what they live in are just like caves and mounds of dirt that they've uh-huh. cast magic on to look dope. Um, huh. whereas- so this
0: is this is like this is a universe where some hand-ringy, middle aged center right person writes some op <laughs> in the New York Times about how we are using our phones too much. <laughs> And everyone is like, hey, we are using our phones too much. Let's stop. Yeah. Hey, let's get back to Let's get, back to, let's get nature. back to before we made our piles of dirt look <laughs> rad with magic and actually make some stuff.
1: And, and neither of those things uh, are perfect. I think that's a cool thing about this book, too, and, and makes it feel like a good historical text as opposed to like a valorizing historical text. Okay. Both... Strange and Norrell are very flawed people. Um, the Thistle King is a bad guy, but he's sort of entertaining. Um, Same. Yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and these forms of magic are like, they have reward to them, um, but they are also dangerous or flawed in their use. Like there's a, there's a section in the middle of the book where one of my favorite characters, his name is Drawlight, And he reminds me a lot of E.B. Farnham. Um, Okay, from Deadwood. From Deadwood. He's just a sycophant. Um, And he's always like buttering people up for his own ends in ways that just are like kind of over the top. Um, But he has like created a cottage industry of like education by magic education by mail where he's been posing as Jonathan Strange to people and being like, let me
0: teach you spells in the mail or it's like that the art school that told you to send in a drawing of a turtle yes, and then they would yes. learn. And you now to you're an you artist. How to do art. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and he's also like is promising this woman that uh, Jonathan Strange will like cast spells on all of his all of her enemies or something. Ooh. And mm-hmm. the way that they get out of that situation is it's like very Hamilton. They like put they write about it in the paper. And so then <laughs> uh Then there's like, not only is magic kind of new and fashionable again, but also now it's not just a cool thing you do to help your government in wartime because we won the war. It's a thing that rich people can use to be petty and gross. And so like the idea of this um, noble English magic has been sullied by human impulse.
0: Um, Okay. So like when we invent stuff to use in war and then it ends up being like really cool like, having a really cool civilian application. Most of the stuff I'm thinking of is actually NASA stuff. So, yes. like, Tang and Velcro. But, like that. Or the reverse, where it's like, oh,
1: I built this, like, thing so that I could send my friends messages on my phone, and then now we use it to destabilize governments. Like... Sure, right. That yeah, kind of cool. thing. Uh-huh. Um, so, that, <laughs> again... I love my <laughs> destabilized government. By combining the magic history with the real history i think clark gets away with a lot of what would otherwise have to be allegory or would have to be um really strong symbolism and just kind of lets it play side by side uh, okay so yeah that's uh that's the book there's there's a lot all of the secondary characters are really strong um and we would never have time to talk about all of them on the show um, but I think that's one of the things that makes it feel Dickensian. There's a lot of memorable small characters um, that you only have a couple scenes with, or like really particularly well drawn scenes with them.
0: Yeah, um, and that's a that's a byproduct of of how she writes, which, like I said, appears to be like she just writes she writes snippets and things as they come to her, and then she stitches them back together into a full story later on. I wrote in my notes, "Just you're a good man, Charlie Brown." Next to that <laughs> note. Okay. Because that play also is one big story that's basically told from a bunch of barely related yes, sure snippets. And so so the barely related thematically connected snippets. I would
1: say the person who maybe learns the most or grows the most as a character is strange, but even then it's on a trajectory that's mostly predictable. So what I think people should come to this book expecting to enjoy is the like interplay with real and fictional Historical fiction and and the magic stuff, not necessarily like character studies, um, as much as memorable like well drawn characters. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's the book. Thanks, Gemma, for recommending it. Um, yeah, Gemma. Andrew, is there a a um an application for magic that you think like if we had it today would be pretty cool? Like if we were to bring back American magic and like reintroduce it to society what would we do with it first
0: what if there was a spell and stick with me on this. okay what if there was a spell where you could take the pee out of your body Uh and magic it into other people's bodies so you never Mm. so you never wait wait so it's supposed to from your bladder into their bladder and like it doesn't there's no like disease anything it's all just like i never want to pee so i'm going to make the people around me P for <laughs> This came up in a conversation with my very pregnant wife, and I was like, "I would do anything for you, but I can't help with that one." But what if I could? Noble, the noble
1: American magician Andrew here with his new P
0: magic my pee spell. See, that's the thing—you can't tell other people about your P spell, or everyone's just gonna do it to everyone, and it'll all balance out. Okay. Well, it's a thing where not everybody can know the peace spell, or it's the same as nobody knowing it. You know, I do know. You're right. So, aren't you glad you asked me this question? I'm so What about you? Do you have anything as good as the peace spell that no, I have? No, I don't.
1: I would like our listeners to write in at OverduePod at <laughs> gmail.com <laughs> and either review your peace spell or suggest a spell of their own that if we were to introduce an American magic today, um, where would we start? Serious responses only, please. Please. <laughs> um, or uh, if you have short answers to that You can hit us up on facebook.com Or twitter.com uh, I was away the last week So I only jotted down a couple of names Todd, Stephanie, Aaron, Akshat, Tyler, Melissa There were plenty more um, Thanks folks for, for checking in And making us feel good Andrew if folks want to know more about the show Where should they go?
0: should go to overduepodcast.com where we've got the books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. If you haven't left us a five-star review and you've been thinking about it, you should do it. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, we also have a Patreon project, patreon.com slash You can use that to make us do stuff and get bonus episodes ahead of time. Um, so next week, I'm going to be reading something. By B.A. Paris. Oh, my God. (laughs) Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. That's what I'm going to read next week. Assuming that no baby comes, because we're kind of in that corridor where it could happen anytime. So... We don't have anything on the schedule filled out beyond then because it truly could be whatever. It might, I we might not even get to that episode yes. next week. We'll just, we'll, it just depends on a lot of things. We
1: have a lineup, mainly the one thing, and we've talked about this before. We have books lined up that we will drop, uh, you know, break in case of baby kind of episodes, um, and we'll put that schedule up as soon as it is appropriate.
0: Um, so yeah, we'll the see. Content, well, the content will continue to flow. Why you gotta say it like that? Because that's how it, that's what it is. I'm thinking about your P spell now. Well, no, that's that's on you, I think. That's a different kind of flow. Get us out of here. <laughs> okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening and until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. The Hit Gum Podcast. Perfect. Nailed it. Yeah, it was great. Perfect. Good ad. That's just what I was thinking. You know, is it, if you do a, next time you do a bad ad read, I'm going to be like, that's that was more of a subtract than an ad. <sighs> it's wordplay doki? which one's that i don't think sy- doki sounds like a <laughs> japanese video game about cynicism i think you mean synecdoche
1: Schenectady, new york
0: schenectady yeah yeah what does that one mean schenectady yeah let me just look up synecdoche synecdoche figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa, as in Cleveland won by six runs, meaning Cleveland's baseball team.
1: (laughs) That's an odd example, but okay.
0: Yeah, well, that's what Google say.